Welcome to the Mac PFD Spark Podcast. This podcast is meant to inspire you to take the next step in your development journey as a faculty member. We're really excited to bring you all sorts of content, from inspiring you to teach or supervise differently, to leading and managing your team, to thinking about new creative ways or humanistic ways to actually do your work, and finally, to up your game in your scholarly practice. Are you excited yet? I certainly am. So sit back, listen, and enjoy this latest episode of the Mac PFD Spark Podcast. Hi, everyone. As this pandemic rages on, we thought it was really important for us to have another special episode. This time, it's about the idea of how we can stay better connected in this really weird world that we're living in right now. Many of us are feeling very disconnected, discombobulated, and we don't have the same strategies we used to to be able to provide support to each other. And so this episode focuses on how we can actually tactically implement maybe some systems change to ensure that we are checking in on each other and supporting each other during this difficult time. Thanks to Mark Walton for pointing out the Battle Buddies paper, and thanks to the chairs who inspired him to bring it to us. All right, so we have a very interesting discussion that I'm really been looking forward to having with two very smart women who have invited on the podcast to talk about this concept. Now, some of you might have read about it in the literature as being called something called battle buddies, or sometimes I think of it as something that we might better call pandemic pals, because it really is an initiative where we can think about how we can give peer support in a way that's meaningful, fulsome, and yet welcomed in a way, because I think that right now we all need that check-in because our lives are, they're either hard at home and we're, you know, like trying to write peer-reviewed grants and papers and do all this stuff while the kids are, you know, interfering with your Wi-Fi and, and asking mom to fix their computer or dad to fix their computer. You're either suffering through that life or you're on the front lines donning PPE and doffing PPE and trying not to get contaminated and trying to getting your nose, you know, like tickled with COVID swabs to make sure you don't have COVID. And that's the world that you're living in. Or maybe you're lucky enough to to do both. Maybe it's, you know, you go from one of these worlds to the other. And I think that this has been an inordinately difficult time for a lot of us. And so any innovation that allows us to take care of each other better, to support each other through this hard time, I think is worth sharing. And so I've brought one of my colleagues, Dr. Ines Elgahori, here today to talk. She is a budding expert in wellness and resilience and systems of of care that we can implement to not only care for our patients, but also improve care for each other. And so she is a phenomenal speaker and she is one to be on the lookout for because I think she's, you know, right now a program director, but she's a woman on the rise. So watch out for more great work from her. And Ines, you've brought a friend that you've known for a long time. So I'll have you introduce her. Well, thank you, Teresa, for such an amazing introduction. I'm going to add to that that I'm also the Mentorship and Wellness Committee Chair in the Pediatric Department. So not only that I'm passionate about this work, but also it's really one of my core roles to bring wellness and resilience to all faculty and trainees in our department at McMaster. I'm very excited to present my friend and my pandemic pal as well for this year who helped me so much to stay well and resilient through this time. I'm happy to introduce Safa Ayari. She is a marketing director in one of uh, the well-known business companies. 
and she will talk uh, to us about pandemic pals in their company and how they implemented and then we're going to talk about how can we steal some of these good ideas and actually implement it in our healthcare system thank you ines thank you for having me here Actually, the pandemic pal actually didn't start as a pandemic pal. It's like kind of a body that you're using. And I've seen this concept like being used in the last five years. Like we start using body to onboard new hire. So people coming, so they are using someone that is already an employee to help that share tips, give context, help navigate the organization. After that, we used like more to help people that are located in two different locations. But then with the pandemic, thinking about how to get people closer, how to make them connect more, and then help them through that journey. This is when the buddy that came back, the concept of buddy, or we call it parent and child, something like this, where you have someone in the organization, in your level, different level, where you self-organize to meet together, to meet together, to talk, to talk freely about life, about work, venting sometime, sharing experience. And it helps actually give you other lens to look to your problem or real life, give you space to be honest, to speak up your mind, to share without any limit and to open up and be vulnerable. And that gives you actually at the same time that free space and give the other person as well, because you're playing the two role. You're listening actively, you're sharing, and you're getting feedback, which helps a lot. And as I shared with you, actually, at the beginning of this pandemic, we start doing it naturally during our hiking time, where we start talking, both of us, to each other, what's going on in our professional life, in real life. And I felt almost in every single discussion, very lucky, inspired, humbled, and grateful to have such generous friend that is open to share with me her passion, her experience, and give me perspective, perspective in everything I'm doing. I'm not saving lives, you do. (laughs) So actually it puts things in perspective and it gives me another lens on the way how to approach what's going on. Yeah, I really like that. I mean, I think I think of the experiences I've had where I am someone's mentor or someone's um, confidant or that someone approaches to hear them out or help them sort through a mess. And I learn so much from that other person. Like I, I do not say it enough, but I always thank them at the end of, and they're like, why are you thanking me? And I'm, and I have to admit that I learned a lot just by, just by listening to their, their challenges and their stories and think through the, the, it's almost like a simulation for me, right? It's that I don't have to encounter that problem. And yet I can work with them to learn from that experience that they've shared with me. So I don't have to maybe make the same mistake, or maybe I get to learn this lesson before I have to fall on my face to to be able to actually realize it on my own. So I really love that idea of being thankful and grateful to other people for sharing with you their trials and tribulations. And then on top of that, thanking them for being so vulnerable and willing to share those things so that you can maybe help them by providing a new perspective. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like it's, it's more receiving that generosity from the other that helps you actually opening up and then learning. And it's learning both ways, like it's not one way. And it does, it does change something specifically in this time where you're from, like you're 
truly in the professional life, you're from a meeting to another and you don't take the time. You don't take the time to truly connect, to have that human connection. It's missing and it makes you like it adds to the stress of every single day. And one of the other aspects, Safa, that I felt with the, with the pandemic pals is that not only that you feel that gratitude, also for having someone to listen to you so co- in, a, in a very compassionate way, but also reclaiming your agency because you are in full control over how much you want to share, which is something that a lot of people actually had lost control over a lot of things in this VOCA world that we're living in right now with the pandemic. So that's another aspect in the pandemic, Pal. I find that was very, very important and interesting. Yeah, having that control is very important because you can go as deep as you want to go deep and receive as well the same way. So, and, and actually I would say the control of what you share, you lost it kind of with the social media and everything. In this space, you can allow it as you wish and as it goes and as you feel safe as well, which is very important that you feel safe while you're doing it. One of the other things that I also found was, was really very powerful is that part when, you know, you validate the concern, you validate the, 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 the emotions that or the experiences that one is going through, even that maybe you're in different specialities or different practices, but then to pause and reflect and help to develop those strategies to improve the situation or improve how a person feels. I think that was very, very powerful because at the end of the day, it also helps to look at the issue or the concern from different perspective. That's great. Okay. So let's actually get into this a little bit. How does it actually work? Because I heard from an ask that like you're kind of assigned someone that you're supposed to check in on for a certain period of time. And like you're there, you're their mama bear or papa bear, you know? Yeah, kind of. <laughs> is, that, is that how it works? Like, so or gender non-specific bear, like the idea would be that you're, you're there to be their, their buddy and your job is to reach out and, and say, Hey, how's it going? And really be a receptacle. Like you're the, you're, you're just to be there as a, you're not supposed to burden them. You will have yourself someone who checks up on you. And I, I kind of really love that model. So can you tell me about what it feels like? Yeah. So, so we created this starting from a game where we were like, sending babies like our photo as a baby and then people are trying to guess who's what and then we pair them randomly so by pairing them we were like okay this is the concept parent and child so you switch role every single week whoever is the parent he's the one booking the meeting with the other to check on them and then give the space to the child really to vent to share and vice versa. It's self-organized. No one is being involved to organize the meeting. And even the structure, it's not a meeting. I, I don't want to call it meeting. I feel it's it's more a safe space that you're opening or a window in your day full of, of meetings and work. And it's more like I'm the parent today. So I'm the one organizing it, sending the invite and then checking on the other and then taking the time to listen deeply to what they are saying and be there supporting, giving feedback or just like listening, just spending the time listening. And it's completely free, like talking about your day, your business, the child that have, I don't know, your kids, if they are having problem of connection, it's a completely free space to make it what you want to make it. 
And we ended up like checking out on each one and that's it. And next week it's the opposite. So whoever is the parent stepping in and then he's the one taking care of the child, which I find it actually at the beginning, I was like a little bit concerned. Okay, how is this working? But it was so natural because you put yourself on the shoes of a parent and you're really caring about your child. So it's switching that role allows you to, to take the time and play that role that just open up being vulnerable again. And it's magic happen in the middle of that. And you feel really relieved at the end if you were the child. And if you're the parent, you feel like you're grateful because you received all that feedback, all that story from the other person, and it helps you in your journey. So Inas, how do you think this would work within one of our like divisions or departments? Like, can you see this working? Like, I have a couple ideas, but what do you think? Well, I am actually really excited about this because I think we need something like that. And the reason I say this is that when you look at all the needs assessments, all the surveys that has been done and the studies have been done regarding physicians and healthcare workers, is that we feel, a lot of us would feel that burden of emotional distress, the trauma, the moral distress of having to make some decisions or maybe being in a, in a place where you're not providing what you think would be adequate care. Yet, we are the worst in seeking help. So if you look at the Canadian Medical Association report on physician well-being 2018, about a quarter of people had uh, even suicidal ideation, and about almost 50% had depression, and about 30% had burnout. And although that most of the physicians, 80%, had known about the mental health programs that can be provided, only surprisingly, 15% access those health. So we are in a pandemic crisis, mental health crisis, yet we know it, but we do not seek help. So what I love about this battle buddies or pandemic pals is the idea of, ha- of leaving no one out, leaving no one behind. It's really as uh, either assignment or you make people choose like uh, two to three people to be matched with. That can be done, I think, to give some autonomy. I want to point out to this paper that has been published just a few months ago by Christina Sophia Albert about battle buddies. And it's called Rapid Deployment of a Psychological Resilience Intervention for Healthcare Workers During Pandemic. And it's an excellent program, well thought of program. And what they did is that they developed the program in a way that in a unit, you assign uh, or match peers where they are matched based on their seniority, uh, generation, role. So leaders with leaders, early career with early career, and even their personal situations if they have young children or they don't have children and so forth. So they did that. And I think they adapted this from the U.S. Army and what they do, because that's exactly how it's done in the Army. And then that they did that as a first stage or what they called it level one. They provided some tools for people to get started. And how do you start conversations? How do you do the check in? And then they developed also a level two consultation where they with the collaboration of the psychiatry department, then a consultant, a mental health consultant would meet with the division head 
and, and the leaders and also provide consultation on um, another sort of plan, anticipate, uh, plan and deter, which we can talk a little bit more about this. And then level three where, okay, what do I do if somebody is at serious risk right now or having serious mental issues right now, mental health issues right now, what do I do with this? And that's where a mental health consultant uh, referral comes in where really the role of the body would be to support and encourage their peer to seek that help. So that was interesting to, to be matched this way. There's a different way to match on like sort of randomly. And there are some advantages in this and some disadvantages, but I feel to start as matching at the same level might be a great idea. I think it really depends on the size of your unit because some people might have a unit and a division, let's say, of six people, in which case you won't have matched comparators because they're probably pretty unique people. So I think it really depends on like what unit you're looking for. So there might be some leaders of just like a, you know, a training program that just want to do it with their faculty. That's cool. And maybe you want to do it with a division within your school of nursing or school of rehabilitation sciences, or maybe one of the departments within the school of medicine. And so each unit will probably have a different amount. I think that one of the things you might want to check now that we're podcasting about this is that just making sure that no one's burdened with being a pandemic pal for about seven people and only has one person checking on them, right? I think it has to be reciprocal. I think these kind of programs are, are useful. And if you already are one, maybe you can get excluded from another matching system unless you're like in it for more. And I think that that's, that's totally up to the person. But I think that we just have to keep that in mind when we're leaders and we're implementing a system. Because if every unit decides that they need to do this, some of us have multiple citizenship across different units. And so if merit starts to do it, and then the Department of Medicine starts to do it, and then Division of Emergency Medicine does it, do, does it as well, and the CE diploma, all of a sudden, I have like five pandemic pals, and I'm probably overworked, right? So I, I do think that we have <laughs> to increase your workload now. <laughs> So, I mean, I think that like having one or two is tolerable, but I think we also have to keep in mind how we actually execute this. And and I think the idea of rotating and then that way people get to know people within a unit is also good. So it sounds like that that's another aspect of it that might be useful is like having, you know, this accountability for a month and then maybe the next month you you can opt out of being in the cycle. So that's the other thing you can do, too. So for us, for example, I feel for the pediatric department at Mac, we can implement something like that across the faculty. Of course, I need to pitch the idea to the group, but I feel it would be great if like uh, as a neonatologist, I can be matched with somebody from GI or, or PICU. I find that it actually adds some out effects. Like, you know, you're learning something new. You're looking at things from a different perspective. Yet we're sharing similar experiences because we are still in the pediatric department. Yeah. And I mean, I think the innovations will come and go and maybe there'll be other units that want to try this at a later date. Maybe they won't launch theirs until six months from now, and maybe you'll have some experience by then. So I think it'll be cool to see what comes of it. But thank you both so much for taking the time to explain what this model is and then some of the literature behind it, because I think some of us really want the evidence base to show it actually works and that it's worked somewhere else. And I think that this innovation really truly is based on years of experience, both in the U.S. Army and, and the, the papers that have come out about this. 
And I think from that point of view, it means that it's probably time for us to think about how to translate it into our workplaces. So thank you so much for sharing your experiences and your thoughts. And do you guys want to say anything final thoughts to the crowd? Thank you, Teresa, for having us. As always, you're making these very interesting podcasts that we are, like me and Safa, we became addicted to. So we're probably going to listen to them on our next hike. So thank you for having us. Thank you. That was great to be part of this broadcast team. All right. Well, until next time, we will have another segment that's augmented by some of our other wellness think tank members that will kind of get us through some new ideas as well. So stay tuned. Hello, this is Ruth Chen here from the School of Nursing. The 14th Annual Day in Faculty Development is coming up on Tuesday, May 25th, 2021. The theme this year is Academia Disrupted, Innovations and Dilemmas Prompted by the COVID-19 Pandemic. We welcome your abstract submissions for our four featured tracks, to explore, to develop, to inspire, and to celebrate. Whether you have a creative innovation to share, a topic or question you'd like to discuss with peers, or a workshop you'd like to facilitate, we want to hear about it. Your colleagues want to hear about it. In this year of upheaval and change, we want to hear from you, the creative ways you have survived, thrived, and innovated for the future. Submit your abstracts by February 28th. Go to macpfd.ca and click on the link for upcoming events. Again, that's macpfd.ca. I look forward to learning together with you. Hello, everyone. And I am here now in this segment with two of my colleagues. The first is Dr. Sandra Moll, and she is an occupational therapist and an associate prof in the School of Rehabilitation Sciences. Her primary program of research is in the area of workplace mental health. So I thought she'd be a great expert to bring on this particular podcast since we're focusing on that right now. Obviously, it's contextualized within the pandemic, and I'm sure Sandra's got lots of irons in the fire right now for that topic, but she's more of a general expert in, in that area as well. So we'll try to bring her back another time for the podcast to talk about other issues. And then Nancy Carter, Dr. Nancy Carter is on faculty in the School of Nursing, and she's the assistant dean of their nursing graduate programs. And so she's uh, coordinating lots of education for great graduate students who are within our realms. And she is here also to speak to kind of the, the world in which she sees this pandemic pals and this concept of helping each other come to life. So Sandra, I'm going to invite you to speak first, just a little bit about the whole workplace situation right now is so strange, right? Especially in academia, we're potted all over the place. We're working from home. I mean, obviously the clinicians in our cadre of faculty, they're in the front lines, masked up with like PPE on like I do, but not everybody in our faculty of health sciences is a clinician primarily. And so a lot of people have been working from home, a lot of our staff, a lot of our faculty. Can you speak to a little bit about what the effects of that can be and where you see this whole pandemic pals kind of concept maybe coming to use in in the case of all of this. Thank you for the invitation to be here. It's something that I've been thinking quite a bit about since our world of work is quite different right now. I'm going to go back a little bit and talk about my program of research, which is called Beyond Silence. And it started about a decade ago, trying to understand the culture of silence and inaction around mental health in the workplace. And Really at that time, I talked about this web of silence in healthcare, and I think it absolutely is relevant for faculty as well. And what are all the reasons why we don't reach out when we're struggling? And so some of it is around stigma. Some of it's around 
not really knowing if I'm struggling or not. You may see it in other people before yourself. Some of it's around, I don't have the time. I'm just trying to get my job done. I don't have time to really think about this. Some of it's around what I call the discourse of professional competence. So this idea that we, our identity is someone who's competent. We're good at our job. So to admit that we're not as good is really difficult and really challenging in lots of ways. And we don't reach out to each other because we're just trying to deal with our own crap, let alone anybody else's. I don't want to take anybody else's things on. So there's lots and lots of reasons why we don't talk or reach out when we're struggling with mental health issues. Some of it also is, I'm not convinced that someone else can help me. They do really understand my culture. Do they really understand the things I'm struggling with? So I think all of that is magnified in the world of COVID. And because we're so isolated and by ourselves and maybe not connecting with other people, I think that that culture of silence is, is maybe magnified in some ways. So I think one of the things about this article, The Battle Buddies, is about trying to change the culture. So what does it mean to reach out to someone? And, and they talked in the article about people didn't reach out, but if someone was happens to be there, I would talk to them. So can we intentionally create a structure where we would talk to someone else? And would that start to create different patterns about talking to someone else when we're struggling? So those, those are some of my initial thoughts. That's a lot to take in, but I think it all resonates with me, right? That perception that you have to handle yourself because everyone is already all burdened, right? I, I don't, I don't think it's just the clinician in me. I think that's like me in high school right? <laughs> I think that all of us are high achievers. And for us to admit that we need help, like that's hard to then, you know, add on all these like layers of professional identity that we have, whether that's teacher, researcher, scholar, scientist, clinician, each of those has been in the pursuit of either competence in some domains or excellence, whatever nomenclature you have. And, and to say that you need help is one of the biggest challenges in the faculty development and continuing professional development space, right? Because we're supposed to be what the grownups, right? Everybody kind of talks about that. I'm all grown up now, you know, at age 21, I was already kind of embodying some of these values, even though I wasn't even in medical school yet. So I can see that, right? Because you've been a straight A student, you get into Nancy's grad school classes, and you know, all of a sudden you're like, I'm supposed to be the one to help other people. I'm supposed to mentor the, you know, the BHSC nursing students and be a role model to them and help them out. And you become faculty and it gets worse because now you know, maybe as junior faculty, maybe you get assigned a mentor, but we all know that sometimes that doesn't work out great with assigned mentorship programs. And there's a secret sauce to being able to reach out. And so in this episode, we've had, you know, Dr. Natasha Menezes, who talked a little bit about the language that we can use to reach out to others. And then we've got a very practical pandemic pals idea that was presented by Ines and Sophia. And so Nancy, can you tell me a little bit about what you think would be really important when you're thinking about how you actually implement a program like this? You know, I just found it so fascinating what Sandra just said. And I've just been reflecting on what you said. And one thing too, and I, I think you've said this, this whole idea of professional competence. And, you know, that there is, you know, we all have this inherent fear that we're not doing our job or we're not doing the best we can. And it is a performance-based system that we're rewarded on as in academia, whether rewarded yearly with performance credits or whether rewarded with 
getting tenure or rewarded in other ways, you know, for different promotions. So I can see that. And it made me think, you know, I do have what I guess I would call a buddy in for the past year, but my buddy is a staff person. It's not another faculty member. And I just suddenly thought, I wonder if that's safer for me because it's not someone I'm competing with and who it's not someone. And I don't mean to sound like that, but I think you understand what I'm saying. It's someone I feel less vulnerable with with this person. So we've taken advantage of, you know, we just, we work together. So we naturally were buddied together. And because our faculty in nursing, most of us are, have been working from home. And I think it's now 10 months and don't have clinical practice. So we're not out, we're working from home. And so I think I naturally paired with the person that I do a lot of work with. And we've been using Microsoft Teams chat function and we chat back and forth and we post puppy pictures or sunshine pictures or whatever kind of goofy pictures we want to do and we ask each other well a lot of times we chat about first thing in the morning we chat you know how is your father doing or how are the kids doing at home etc so it is a lot of personal chatting and supportive chatting as well as that work support and it really does replace that first thing in the morning, walking down when to see if they're there and how's your day or replacing that, let's go for a walk because it's nice outside or that Friday treat, let's go walk to Tim Hortons and get a donut today. And so it, it's, it kind of happened naturally, but we're using, you know, being able to use that constant back and forth on Microsoft Teams has happened. I think we need to be more purposeful. And I think a system like the pandemic buddies or pandemic pals would be helpful for us in nursing because it would give us the opportunity to be purposeful in setting up groups that may not naturally happen. You know, it's interesting. We have a thing called good news. You can submit good news that think grants and articles. And what I want to hear is the not so good news. You know, we're worried about burdening other people, but sometimes you get so insular you're thinking about your own stuff and the things you're trying to do and all the things happening and i actually think when you reach out to someone else and have that conversation it's actually liberating in some way it gets you outside of yourself right that you can start to have this you know i'm not alone we're kind of in this together it sounds really cliche but this idea that you know we're all struggling in different ways right it isn't always good news sometimes it's bad news or sometimes it's really hard and really and and we struggle sometimes and to have the safety to start to speak about that with people I think is is really important and it doesn't mean that you're not competent it doesn't mean that you're not you know that it, it's just it's okay to be not okay and we need to talk about it right a hundred percent and and although that sounds a little cliche like I, I had that experience like yesterday I was supposed to have a research meeting it turned into you know kind of a conversation about what pains us right now in our in our jobs and our lives and one of my colleagues confessed that you know she's having trouble balancing the kids and the meals and now research and now she's also a clinician and she's got like administrative duties and all of this stuff just bubbled up to the top because you know as as someone who's also a leader i was like i totally get it like what can i do for you can i order uber eats to your house like like seriously what can i do to help and and it made me feel i mean maybe it's just that misery love company but you know, it made me feel like I wasn't the only one that was cracking a little bit at the seams. And I thank her for that, 
right? Because that moment of vulnerability is hard. And it was like just three of us on, on the call, but I think the other person was able to step up and also normalize some things. And all of us were then commiserating. And I think that that's actually an important part of feeling connected is that you can't just always connect when there's joy. Although pandemic puppies is definitely a phenomenon and we should all send pictures around for those, right? But at the same time, I think that sharing the not so great stuff to someone who's safe, not on Twitter, for instance, maybe, although some people do share it there too, to help with all of this, right? And being able to share the not so happy stuff is cathartic for yourself sometimes. But then also, I think, if you can see it as a kindness and a gesture to others, so that you can normalize some of the troubles that we've been having, that also, I think, helps the other person. And so having someone whose only job in this kind of pandemic pals or battle buddies model who just listens. I think there's something really powerful about that. And I think there's something really almost symbolic about if we're going to be leaders and educators and people in healthcare, right? We're going to need to role model those things. And, and I think that that's kind of what I've been hearing from everyone. I think it has to be, and I've said, I've already said this before, purposeful in that when you said it's, you know, I'm not the only one who's maybe struggling with that. You know, part of this issue of isolation is that we just don't, you know, we're all, we're clinicians and we can use our assessment skills. And when you go into a staff meeting or you see some of them halls, sometimes it's easy to see they don't look like themselves or boy, they look like they're struggling. I could tell by how that, how she was sitting at that meeting. There's a lot going on, but because we don't, you know, part of it is we're not seeing and talking to people as much, I think. And so we need to make sure we're reaching out because one of our tools to do that is is gone. And I think, you know, that idea of recognizing and so what do you say? I think just say, are you okay? And that can start that conversation and, and we don't have to fix it, but maybe we can be with them and just listen. I think, as you said, Teresa, it's, that can be powerful in itself. And I think that at the end of the day, what we can try to do is just be of service to each other, just one person. I don't think you should try to take on the world. So for all of those who are overachievers listening to this podcast, hear me now. Don't try to be everyone's confessor unless you're planning to go like get advanced training and getting, you know, like become a psychologist, psychiatrist, a member of the clergy or a social worker, unless you're actually going to pivot and change your profession or you are one of those folks, but then make sure you're, you know, like taking care of yourself and have your supports there. We're not asking you to do that. And we're not, we're not asking you to be everyone's burden buddy. We're asking you to pick someone that you can check in on and just be able to afford and listen because i i do know some of our listeners they're top-notch people and they're going to try to take on the burdens of the world so i'm just going to put it out there that no one's expecting you to do that however you could set up a system and i think that this is where it's really important to think about it is that how do you build a system that's not dependent on you but can be resilient and can go beyond the personal level resilience that we talk about into a systems level resilience and Sandra, I think you had some thoughts really kind of driving that point home. Just a, a couple of things to go back about this peer support. So some of the work I do is with first responders and they have a huge peer support culture. I, I don't think we have it as much here. And they talk about this idea of boundaries. So you're right. I think with the pandemic pals, it's a scheduled date and time. And then I'm going to be focused on that. Right. So it doesn't it's not something that's happening all the time, but I will set aside time for doing that. 
And, you know, the other thing they said in the article is they talked about this idea as being a personal resilience strategy, whereas I actually think it's about an organizational resilience strategy. So this is about creating supportive workplaces. If we get practiced at saying, hey, are you okay? And reaching out and spending and, and valuing the time to do that, I think it will make an organization with more collective efficacy, collective resilience and collective hope, not just individual. So I'm really excited about this idea. I think we have to take a step back and maybe confer amongst a bunch of leaders to think about the best deployment strategy within your unit, whether you're the head of a research program that's digitally connected, you know, like Nancy's is and, and, and can actually maybe poll everyone to figure out who's able to kind of take this on and then, and then assigns this kind of a matchmaking <laughs> to someone purposefully. The other way I can think it's working, actually, there's a lot of digital hacks that I was thinking you could use because every Christmas, my family, we use a secret Santa program to like assign people. So I thought, actually, that's exactly what you need, right? And so you, you probably just need to use some kind of random number generator and or a, a secret Santa program and just make sure that there is at no one that's just paired with one other person, because that's a little awkward. The whole model works on you being paying it forward to someone else, and then someone else pays it forward to you, right? So I think some of those logistics, you might be able to do that. And I think that it's really important to be inclusive in this, because the people that actually need it the most might not say, hey, I want to be in this. And so I think, Sandra, you had said earlier in our prep, let's leave no one behind on this. I think that's, you know, that resonates with me with the article being about battle buddies, right? Like no, no person left behind, I guess. Uh, I'm modifying the key phrase that I've heard before. But I think that your program of research probably speaks to a lot to that is that the people who need this the most may actually be reluctant. So I don't know if you have any thoughts on how to engage that group. You know, I think make it structured. Everyone needs to do this. Some people are going to feel really awkward. Some people will be perfectly fine, right? And But I think if we can get better at it, you know, it's scheduled. We think this is important. We think this is really critical that we need to talk to each other. We need to reach out. It creates a culture and a community. And, you know, maybe it feels awkward at first. It, it probably will feel awkward at first. And maybe it feels like an extra burden. But I think if you stick with it, we'll get better at it. And we'll get better at saying, hey, we want to value that time that we spend with each other. And I think that's worth it, even if we feel awkward at first. All right. Any final thoughts there, Nancy, from your perspective? No, I think that something like this can really replace what our typical sharing community type things are the faculty meeting the you know the let's walk and get some lunch some of those things that we we probably miss walking down the halls you know the research rounds where you go early and there's some sandwiches and you you chat for a while and look in on people and i think this is a really good way that we could perhaps replace that but with again that you know specific idea that everyone's included, that we are looking out for everybody. Yeah. And I think that's really important for us to think about our staff members who are more on the administrative side. I think it's important for us to think about trainees. And it might be that, you know, in some communities, you can intermix the staff and the faculty because that culture exists already. There may be some microcultures in our system. I'm going to fully acknowledge that that would not be comfortable. And so know your own microculture, maybe even just do some loose polling of people using, you know, like some kind of quick poll or, or survey just to get a sense of what people are comfortable with. 
some people might feel more comfortable, some people might feel less comfortable. And so understanding that dynamic is important. And then find your best people, your Emmas <laughs> and your matchmaking uh, Yentas and your, and, and your, and your people who are good at understanding your microculture and the people in it to help with that venture. Because there are in every microculture, there's that one person that seems to really get everyone. And, and that connector, that super connector is someone you can probably leverage in, in helping to build a program like this. And, and I think that sometimes as a leader, that is you, but often it's not, right? Like they talk about the org charts and the secret structures. And there's usually that one person that everyone texts when they're in trouble. That person might be a staff person, might be a, a junior faculty, might be, a, might, might actually be like a more seasoned, maybe senior faculty who's no longer a leader. That person's probably your, you know, pillar of this program, and then they can help you sort it out. So, all right. Well, thank you so much, you two, for having us chat with me. I think hopefully this special episode that we're releasing will be helpful to everyone. And stay tuned for another episode. Thanks, Teresa, for this. It's great. While some podcasts have commercials, in our podcast, we have some product placements about our own events. And so this is a cognitive break to raise awareness of a really cool opportunity. So, We've just announced that our 14th day in faculty development will be on May 25th, 2021. So mark your calendars for that. Registration isn't open yet, but definitely consider submitting something to our abstract competition. The abstracts are due on February 28th, 2021, and you can submit in four different categories this year. Thanks to co-chair Dr. Ruth Chen for highlighting how we can engage each other within this community of practice that we're developing. So number one, if you'd like to explore new ideas with us, there's the Great Ideas track where you can present your great idea for something in faculty development and get feedback from the crowd. And so this is called the Great Ideas track and it's for 15 minute presentations for really early works in progress, like where you've just had a cool idea and you want to see if it's going to stick. The second category is to develop. And so this is where you may have something you want to help develop in others. These are for workshop proposals and they're for 45 minute slots and where you need to actually just articulate what problem and approach you have for solving that problem or going beyond and helping people develop themselves. The third kind is to inspire and these would be reporting of new concepts and ideas. These would be for cool programs that you've been able to develop in this uh, new pandemic world that we're living in and reporting new evidence of success or new initiatives that you've been able to kickstart during this awesome time. And the last category is going to be to celebrate. And so if you have a great success story or a cool innovation that you think that other people could actually learn from, go ahead and submit that. Those are eight minute abstracts and it's just a quick run through of a, a cool, cool idea. So definitely come and share your ideas with us. I think it'll be a really exciting time. All right. Hello, everyone. This is Teresa Chen. I'm here with Dr. Natasha Menezes. She is the chair of the Student Affairs Office within our university's uh, undergraduate medical education, so our medical school. She is a psychiatrist by training, and she's an associate professor within the Department of Psychiatry and Behavioral Neurosciences. So thank you very much for taking the time to speak with me today, Natasha. Hi, Teresa. Thank you for inviting me in. So Natasha, thank you so much for coming on this podcast, because I do think that right now during the time of the COVID pandemic, we've all been feeling a little bit more stress and we've all been 
needing a little bit more support, but maybe not being able to see it. And I thought that I've heard through the grapevine, you're a bit of a guru with regards to having some strategies for engaging in peer support. So I thought I'd bring you in to chat about that. So can you tell me a little bit about your perspective on how we can be better friends, colleagues, other people in the lives of our fellow physicians, nurses, healthcare practitioners, and uh, staff members within the university? Sure, Teresa, you're absolutely right. These have been incredibly difficult times, and we see it all over social media and the newspaper that the system is stretched. And of course, healthcare professionals, whether it be nurses, allied staff, physicians, we are the healthcare system. So it is perfectly understandable that in a time when everybody's facing uncertainty and strain, that we would as well. I think, in my perspective, some of the key points that are really important is understanding that there is a collective sense of strain and approaching it with openness and honesty and compassion. And if we take those tenets, they help us to be better colleagues to each other. And being better colleagues can look like a lot of different things, but one of the first things is being aware of ourselves and our own limits. And then by extension, appreciating that our colleagues also have those limits. And when we notice that those limits are being hit, maybe feeling that we all have a collective role and responsibility to support each other. So that can look like lots of different things. In the medical school, as well as with some of our faculty, we've been trying to help people to develop a lexicon for how to express concern, to have an awareness of what warning signs are for when people are strained and distressed and not doing well, and to support people in being able to feel comfortable to just ask some of those questions and expressing concern. So some of those statements, for example, that we might coach our students or our faculty on offering to a colleague that they think might be stressed might be things like approaching a colleague and saying, hey, these are really stressful times. You're not alone. You know, is there something that we can talk about? I noticed that you've been coming in late to work lately, or I noticed that you had a really difficult clinical encounter the other day and that I've had that type of experience also. And I remember what a toll it took on me and how helpful it was for me to chat about with someone. So, you know, I'm here if you want to talk about it. So yes, those are really interesting first points. In the age of pandemic, you almost have to like go out of your way to have these conversations though. So are there any specific thoughts that you have for how we can actually engage in them? Like, do you you just like email someone and say, hey, can we Zoom? Or do you call them up on the phone? Like, what are your thoughts on how we engage in those conversations? I think being in the moment is incredibly helpful. And then having almost a versatile and, and diverse way of approaching things is helpful. So I would say, you know, if something really challenging happens, recognizing that that's an opportunity to open a conversation with someone. If you can do it at the end of a shift, do it at the end of the shift. If everybody's busy and they go their separate ways, follow up with an email. And that email just has to give availability. Hey, that was a really tough day this afternoon. I struggled with it, wondered if you did. I'm here if you ever wanna chat and leave it at that. It might be by Zoom. Obviously people can't do coffee anymore, for example. It might be a phone call. I think leaving that openness 
is really important. But the first step is validating that what we're going through these days is stressful and then creating an open line of communication, whether that be Zoom or email or telephone call or hopefully a chance encounter in the hallway. I would say, though, that taking opportunity in the moment is key because when moments pass, they're lost opportunities. So doing it as proximal to when you notice that somebody might be distressed or when there is a challenging interaction, I think those are pretty important facts to do. That's really important insight. I think being closer to the time in which a critical incident might have occurred uh, or some something just life-changing, uh, it's always good to have someone check in on you and just poke at you and say, hey, are you okay? Did, can, can we help? I can remember several times in my career where some of my colleagues just happened to be in the department because they're on trauma call or something like that. And, you know, they, they, they hear through the grapevine or they see the tail end of a resuscitation and, you know, like within minutes, they just come up to me and check on me and say, Hey, is there anything I can do? Do you want to talk about it? And they weren't in the room. And so, you know, there's someone that you might be able to unload to a little bit. And I, I found that very helpful. Can I just add to that also? I think nowadays it doesn't even have to be something big or life-changing. I think we're all under so much stress that recognizing that there's a cumulative effect to what we are living right now Mm -hmm. is important. So if you just even see Mm -hmm. those signs of, you know, a little bit of irritability or a little bit of strain or people looking frazzled, Mm -hmm. to me, even that can be an opening to a conversation. Mm -hmm. And it could just even be, admitting that you yourself are feeling like that. So the opening mm-hmm. sentence can be something like, you know, I, I've really been struggling with whatever it might be, X, Y, and Z. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I noticed that your shift was really busy today. If you ever want to chat about it, let me know. Yeah. You know, just sort of laying the ground. I think it's that aspect of normalization in the culture of medicine that we have. Sometimes we, not all, not everybody and not all the time, but our general culture of medicine is such that we tend to sort of be the saviors, the people who are the leaders and trying to run yeah. things and be in control. And we don't allow that that takes a toll for every human being, doctor or not. So normalizing it and opening that conversation that allows people to see that they're, you know, if they're got, even if they have a tiny struggle, they're not alone in it. Almost everybody's having a tiny struggle. And cumulatively, those tiny struggles generally risk amounting to a fairly substantial struggle. And so do you think that it'd be okay? Because like sometimes there aren't these big events like uh, like you pointed out. And it might just be that you just want to check in on someone. Like, do you think that it's it's okay for me to just like text someone and say, hey, just thinking of you, hope everything's been going okay. But if it's not, like give me a shout and we can always chat about it. Mm -hmm. It's interesting. I don't think I've ever texted as much as I have during COVID. And what I've found myself naturally doing is periodically thinking, oh, I haven't heard from so-and-so in a really long time. And that's weird. Or they haven't shown up to the last three meetings that we were supposed to be at. And I have found texting an amazing tool because it's just quick. It's on people's schedule. It's apart from email. And so in a way, it seems more personalized and a little bit more on the sidelines. And so, yeah, I've, I've sometimes just sent a text to someone and said, hey, you know, thought of you, haven't seen you in a while. Where are things at with you? And leaving it at that. I've also found there's lots of wonderful memes and video clips or songs. And I have found that people have responded really well. So for example, the other day, somebody sent me a wonderful song from the movie, The Greatest Show on Earth. I think that's what it's called, The Greatest Showman on Earth or whatever it was. And it was just a three minute video clip, Teresa, but it just filled me with joy. And the person sent it to me and said, this made me think of you. That was all they wrote. 
And I felt this amazing sense of connection with them. Mm -hmm. And so I forwarded sort of a similar type of text to three or four people that I hadn't heard from in a long time. Um, (laughs) So it's just that sort of reaching out and connecting that is really helpful. So I have a little armamentarium and sometimes I send it off to the students, the class of students also in email. Yeah, for sure. I do think that like having almost a checklist of people who you, you might be accountable to that they might also poke at you when they haven't heard and you haven't shown signs of life in a little while, you know, like just to say, hey, what what are you watching on Netflix? Any recommendations or something that's a small ask to create that opening. And then if it seems like that person has been having trouble, then 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 I think going from there. Yeah, the other thing that I found when I I have had a couple of um, colleagues over the last year that I have been concerned about and I what I've done sometimes to reach out to them if they don't respond with my initial friendly reach out is if I found an article that was about physician distress or about one particular article was just about how physicians react to adverse outcomes. And I've sent it to them and said, you know, this made me think of you. I've been a little bit worried about how things were going since, you know, event A happened. Because sometimes, you know, we hope that sometimes our leadership is doing these things, but actually it can be very impactful to have a peer colleague do that. There's something very equalizing about the experience when you write to a colleague and say, yes, you know, I, I had a college complaint filed against me last year, or I was assaulted, or, you know, I had an adverse outcome. Yeah, I think that our leaders have a lot to deal with right now as well. And so, I mean, I think of them as sometimes my peers as well. Now that, you know, like both of us are in leadership positions, we're we're still human. And and I do think, you know, how how might we reach out to them, right? To to give them support, to to give them a sounding board sometimes to to help troubleshoot and think through things. And I've tried to make myself more available to some of my, my leaders in my group, because as someone who has a leadership position in some other domain, I think that hopefully that's been more helpful because I think they're sometimes just wrestling with the idea of, you know, how to engage people, how to get the, you know, I've created spaces, but no one comes, right? And, and, and having other people to chat with about that as peers, I think has been helpful as well. So I don't know, I'll put it out there that some of your leaders, they need compassion and support just as much. And sometimes that means literally just showing up to a meeting because the worst is to be a, a, a leader when you create space and no one comes and no mm-hmm. one's engaging with you, right? And and I know mm-hmm. what's been, what it's been like to have that fall flat on the other end and being someone who's trying to make things happen and, and no one wants it to happen. So I do think that we can also be supporting each other in trying to be able to engage where we can within limits, if you're feeling up for it. And if you're not, then I think that's when it's also important as a person to, to acknowledge that be self compassionate, but then maybe do reach out to someone and say, Hey, can we chat? I'm feeling a little bit stressed right now. I'd love to have someone to chat with. And not waiting for someone to be kind and, and, and to send you a meme or, or make an opener to check up on you. But but I think it's okay. I want to put it out there that it's okay to actually ask those things of people that I don't think that a single one of us would ever say no if a friend texted or emailed or called and said, can we chat? Unless like you're in the middle of resuscitating someone, like I might be sometimes <laughs> awkwardly. I'm mean, like, can I call you back in like 15 <laughs> minutes? Other than that, like, I mean, I think that you probably can make that time. And I don't think any of us would ever say no to that person. And yet I think we always assume that everyone else would say no to us. And yeah. I'll point that out as an irony and, and, and probably not an accurate representation. I think you probably have way better friends yeah. and cooler friends than, than you think. And that it's worthwhile reaching out to those friends and colleagues to, to, to find the support if you're in need of it. 
Yeah, I totally agree. I actually also do think that that's part of that culture that we're in, which is sort of admitting the humanity of all of us and not seeing it as a vulnerability. So it's not unusual that with students, you know, when they're really struggling, eventually they'll say to me like, oh, but I thought I was the only one. So I would suggest that, yes, us reaching out to someone when we need help is, is also, or when we just need to chat it out, it's part of our own sort of responsibility to ourselves to be able to feel we have those resources. But I think also when we receive those messages, sometimes they're not that explicit. So just having a little bit of a sensitivity to, oh, that was a bit of a random text. Like, is there some need that this person has, but they might not be expressing I also really like your point that you made about leadership. You know, there's that saying, it's lonely at the top. So I completely agree with you. Our our leaders need that support. And part of being on a team is being able to also be that support foundation for the leader. So I will say I do send my funny videos and inspiring (laughs) songs to our leadership too sometimes. And, And I know it feels random to them, especially if it's in the middle of the day, but I'm hoping it brings a smile and it sort of reminds them that I'm thinking of them. And so if they, you know, need to discuss something, then I'm also available at the other end of that text or email or whatever it might be. Yeah, and I think that like we all have our imposter syndrome when we're interacting with those who are maybe a little bit more advanced in their career. Like they don't need me. Like who I'm just some junior faculty, I'm some mid-career faculty. Like we always say those things about ourselves. And yet I think that we're all awesome. And we should just reach out with our awesomeness to share that with the world. And sometimes that means someone who seemingly is more senior, but may need that connection as much. And maybe it might be harder for them to actually reach out and ask of you because they don't want to burden. They don't want to assume that they could. There's a power dynamic. So I think that that's definitely something to consider, too. I think most leaders would love a great Dilbert comic about, you know, a meeting gone badly to spice up their day. (laughs) I think that we all have like a joke about something that has happened, you know, like some short videos about like corporate life, uh, clips from, I don't know, office space or or the office. Uh, There's lots of moments like that where we've, we literally are living moments from a sitcom that might bring someone a smile to someone's face and make them feel like they're not the only one that has this problem. I think those are all great strategies to think about. Absolutely. Any final thoughts on things that you think would be good for people to take away with as they're heading back into either the trenches, uh, the front lines, or just being someone who's staying at home and feeling a little bit isolated? What are some things that you think we could all start doing tomorrow, let's say? Being aware of the impact of ongoing stress, I would say, is number one. And then also feeling that you're part of a collective responsibility and collective solution for looking out for each other and ourselves and making sure that our own well-being is sustained the best possible because the healthcare system is not going to function very well if we are all unraveling at the seams. And then taking those little steps, not ever feeling like you need to do something big. You don't need to do a big intervention for yourself or for your colleagues. It's really those little things that we do that amount to things that can make a difference for people. But also recognizing that if there are signs that something big of concern is happening in a colleague or in yourself, knowing that seeking resources and interventions sooner rather than later is absolutely key. And it's always been ironic that we are great at telling this to our patients. And research shows over and over that we are far less great at doing that for ourselves 
or supporting our colleagues in doing that. So early intervention, prevention, those standard epidemiologic concepts, they are very applicable to us and we need to practice them in our lives. It's our responsibility to ourselves and to our colleagues and to the patients that we treat. Okay, great. Well, thank you so much for your time and thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us. Thank you for inviting me, Teresa. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Mac PFD Spark podcast. Just so you know, this podcast has been brought to you by the McMaster Faculty of Health Sciences and specifically the Office of Continuing Professional Development and the Program for Faculty Development. If you're interested in finding out more about what we can offer for faculty development, check out our website at www.macpfd.ca. That's www.macpfd.ca. Many of our events are actually web events that are free. Finally, I'd like to thank our sound engineer, Mr. Nick Hoskin, who has been an amazing asset to our team. Thanks so much, Nick, for all that you do. And also thank you to Scott Holmes for supplying us the music that you've been listening to. All right, so until next time, this is Mac PFD Spark signing off.